Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Jeremy Fisk, joined as always by Lee Carlo and Chapin Hemingway. Uh, today we are going to be reviewing for its 15-year anniversary, and also it's on our great movie list, Martin Scorsese's The Departed. And you're, we're going to talk about the Oscars? Oh, right. We got actually a couple more things to talk about. We're going to talk about the Oscars and we're going to be doing uh, Just Effing Watch It Challenge for each of us. So we got a lot to do on this podcast. And just before we do get going, guys, this is approximate because it's not set in stone yet. But I do just want to make sure everybody is aware and you guys are aware. It is 293 days until the Fixies. So, so we got to get um, on that. Everybody should have finished the Fixies by then. They have <laughs> the previous fixies. Um, <laughs> if you're all still working on it, but uh, 293 days, approximately mid February in Vegas on location. Yeah, we gotta book those hotel rooms, and they're probably expensive now. Rain Man Suite. When I was your age, they would say we could become cops or criminals. What I'm saying is this. When you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? This is not the regular police. This is the state police. We are an elite unit. This is who we're after. Frank Costello. You won't be paid as a regular cop, but there's a bonus involved. So what do I do? You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. Do you have anyone in with Costello presently? Maybe. Do you know who I am? Maybe not. When I have my associates search you. That was quick. Think he's dead already? Get your hands off me! I think we could work something out. We are all convinced that Costello has at least one mole inside the Special Investigations Unit. There are parts of my job I can't talk to you about. Man, you are trouble. You don't know the half of it. You better get organized, quick. Hey, last time I checked, I tipped you off, and you're not in jail. Getting the feeling we got a cop in my crew. Sooner or later, he's gonna find out who I am, and he's gonna kill me. I can get the rat. You just gotta let me do it my way. If you don't, it won't be me who pays for it. There is a leak from the inside. It's real, man. Smoke him out. You're lying to me. There are things you don't want to know about. What are you waiting for, honestly? I mean, do you want him to chop me up and feed me to the poor? Is that what you guys want? How's your brother? She's on her way out. You all are. Act accordingly. Uh, all right, guys. So we're going to talk about Martin Scorsese's Departed. I hope all our listeners had enough time to get through the fixies, and I'm sure we'll touch on the reaction to those along with the Oscars. Um, but The Departed, it's one of those movies we, as a group, when we're hanging out, we reference quite often it's a bit of a tentpole movie for us i don't know when the last time you guys have seen it it's been a while for me and there's so much i kind of want to talk about with this movie especially when it comes to scorsese's career uh his post-departed filmmaking versus his pre-departed filmmaking where you think this stands in his sort of timeline um of his career but I'm going to keep it simple uh, to start us off. On this rewatch of it, what jumped out to you guys as something you discovered that you didn't necessarily discover before? And I'll start by saying, for me, it was the score. It's not that I didn't notice it before. It's that I didn't appreciate it as much as I did this time. I really enjoyed it. Um, so go ahead, Chapin. 
I, I really noticed the editing. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. extraordinary. Uh, yeah, obviously, well, Thelma Schoonmaker is a huge part of uh, Martin Scorsese's history and his, um, you know, his. I think it's probably his closest collaborator over the years. I believe she's edited nearly every one of his films and certainly almost all of the ones in the last 40 years. Um, but I think this movie is on a different level. You know, it's, it's, um, there's sort of narratives within narratives. And, and I was sort of thinking like, had, I love the departed. I think we all love the departed. I'd love to discuss like how much we each love it. I think that's going to be an interesting part of this pod, but I, I do think this, this movie to me kind of is a great example of Scorsese kind of doing a little too much but it working. Um, yep, I, I think that's I, a good way to put it. I think, you know, you can see how this density of film doesn't go well for him in the future. I would say the Irishman, um, I think gangs in New York, obviously that's before the departed, but you know, but she just like is able to convey so much information, so much storytelling, so much character development. I mean, we've got like how many, one, two, three, four. I mean, I would argue we have like six or seven really important characters in this and you learn a lot about all of them. And there's just a lot of storytelling done in a very concise amount of time. And I think it's just a brilliantly edited movie. Yeah, and, and I want to get I want to get more into the editing because I have I have some notes on that. But Lee, what was something that popped out to you this time around that well, you really hadn't noticed before? I, I'm going to get more into the editing too because that was it for me too. And it was okay. two two aspects of that in particular. In one, it was just kind of the the in particular like the editing choices, specific like the jump cuts and the rack. It wasn't. Foca- I mean, the thing is, it the wasn't rack focuses any, or the filmmaking. There wasn't but, jump cuts. It was just these unconventional cuts. It's like halfway through movements that you would expect to f- see the end to. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating. That, oh, but I mean, like when he would like it would jump into a closer shot and then again to another a closer shot of of a certain thing. So it would jump in that way, not jump cuts in like the, this is not good editing, but it works jump cut. Yeah. I mean, like there, here's a shot of the citizens envelope well, and then I, it I cuts think a, twice to jump yeah, in closer. Okay. So things that, like that. That's definitely true. And I would, I, one like perfect example of this is actually not even a, a, a cut of the actual image. It's a cut of a song. It's when the Dropkick Murphys are playing as they go across the Zakum. And then the way that, uh, you know, his aunt or something opens the door and it doesn't stop with her opening the door, which would be even, you know, it stops on a dime, which is unconventional to begin with, but then it doesn't even stop with her when she opens the door. It stops halfway through the opening of the door. And there's a lot of actual edits like that, too, well, where characters are moving in a certain way and it, they don't finish their movement. And it's a little jarring and you won't, it's, it's like your instinct is to want to see it through, but they cut a, ahead of it. And it really sort of works. Later. Yeah, the same thing happens later with the same song um, when they're on the phone with, with Jack Nicholson and it, it cuts, the music cuts out like very abruptly. Then it cuts right back in and it's really unique. But the, the big thing, and I'm glad you brought up The Irishman and Gangs in New York, Chapin, because those were the two movies I thought of as well. Going into this movie, I was, I don't know how long it's been, but I... I I had in my head that I was going to have an issue with the opening and, you know, the introduction of Leo's character, the, the transition from him as a, as a, uh, cadet to a state police officer to, you know, undercover in prison and like that storyline and how quickly that moves. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about the Irishman. I was thinking about gangs in New York and I was just like, you know, it's unlike Scorsese for us to not just have a three and a half hour movie and all of that stuff with him in prison playing out, you know, in a much longer span of time. And while I don't always love that the Irishman can arguably drag in that regard, I almost thought maybe the departed would need something like that. But then I watched it and it was not what I was expecting. Again, this is a movie I'd seen, but I had just got in my head that something was going to be off about that. 
it was cut together so efficiently and it and it continued that pace for most of the movie that it all felt very organic and yeah i think that was kind of the thing that stood out most to me on this on this revisit that areas where i thought the editing might not work it worked really really well it's one of those um you know we we talked about this i think in relation to the fixies but you know you never you know the great editing you shouldn't notice but you notice this editing and you, you say to yourself i bet this was exhausting to edit you know and but i think that's because you, they're doing things that they're clearly making a lot out of a out of a little no and, and I, you can see that effort yes exactly and the fact that it's working is the credit to exactly it. it works but it's also it's also sort of um it doesn't it doesn't look easy you know it's it's it looks you know i think i've always i always thought of like comparing cinematography to editing and like cinematography is very indulgent you spend a lot of time on these setups you spend all this money on cameras and film and blah 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 and you've got these big crane shots and then you know, you spend $10,000 to get this beautiful shot and then the editor goes into the editing room and four, four months later, that shot is just completely gone. You know, like <laughs> there's indulgence in cinematography and sort of efficiency in editing. And, you know, with this, you can see that they invested a lot of time and effort in this. It, I'm sure it was like finding those, especially those moments with the, the, the drop shipping up the Boston song like that. That's not something I think they planned. I don't think I think don't think Scorsese was like driving to work one day, uh, you know, from the Four Seasons next to Everson, which is where they all stayed, and and uh, was like, you know, it'd be cool if we just like randomly cut in and out of the some Dropkick Murphy song. I, I think they, you know, I'm sure she found it in the in the edit. Yeah, it 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 does remind me of cinematography, like when it works in the way that it it can be showy but work like we talked about it with the vast at night um in the the shots that they had i mean it was clearly there to show off but it and and to draw attention to itself but if it's done well you know you can do it and the editing here is clearly making a decision to you know, I don't know if it's necessarily to show off, but to jar the audience, to make them feel a little uneasy, like so, like anything can happen here in this film. And I think that part is obviously very much on purpose to keep that the audience on edge and say, nobody's ever really safe here. The other the other thing I that stood out for me this time, we typically like to save performances for later on. I'm sure we're gonna talk about Leo and Matt Damon and, you know, Wahlberg, of course, and Nicholson, but Martin Sheen, <clears throat> Martin Sheen's performance stood out to me in this revisit. I think he's so good in this role. Yeah, he's great. Um, but we can get to performances later. I mean, there's not a ton to talk about with his performance, but I just really loved him in it. All right. Well, well, drawing back a little bit toward and, and tying into our Oscar uh, conversation a little later. I mean, this is, I believe, the only Scorsese movie to ever win Best Picture. It's the only Scorsese movie to win uh, Best Director for him. I mean, a lot of it, I think, is a makeup for yeah, times past. Makeup, but yeah. at the same time, this this movie has aged in a way that I feel like it's probably deserving of those honors and then Thelma won also for her um for her editing um yeah so this gets in I guess to what Chapin is curious about right um you know how how great do we think this movie is and look it's it's most directors best movie right um but where does it rank for Scorsese? It, it's in the top 10 for me. No question about it. I, I'm toying with whether or not it makes the top five. And that was a, a question Chapin asked us a few weeks ago over our text chain, whether or not this is a top five Scorsese movie. He suggested that it, if it's not, it should be, <laughs> I think were his words. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I think I have kind of my, what my top four are definitively. And then, 
I don't know what five is. I'd have to spend more time thinking about it. I'm not going to like go through his filmography and try to figure it out right now. This this um, is probably a top five for me, but it also is the top five with the most flaws. I mean, we and we'll get we'll get into the flaws of this movie as there are a lot, but just the the sheer energy of the this movie and the entertainment value of this movie, how it moves, how it entertains audiences. It's like it's a trip. It's like a it, it it's a fun fucking movie to just sit totally. back and, and watch and, think... and it has the the gravitas and skill uh of a like a, a great cinematic film so despite its flaws it, it it has just too much going for it well yes and two of the movies there's three movies in his filmography that are textbook like what you're talking about that they're you know the energy the excitement how fun they are you know the pacing of them and it and i think it's goodfellas this and wolf of wall street and goodfellas and wolf of wall street are both undeniably in my top five casino scorsese casino in there too yeah that's another one too um and that's one of the ones for me that kind of flirts with the top five as well um i think you know i I don't know for me like i i left this movie kind of wondering what it's about yeah. Um, you know, and like, so I can be, I can be totally satisfied with a movie that's all those things you're describing, Jeremy, that they're a lot of fun, you know, they're, they're, they're well made, but is there, but you know, a, a transcendent movie, a great movie, some of Scorsese's greatest films are about something more. And I'm not sure that The Departed is. But it's not any more, like, what is Goodfellas about more than The Departed? You know, like, what is that yeah, theme you're that. latching think... on to that, I mean, I think Departed has has more of that if you really want to try to get into, like, the social dynamics and the the uh, dynamics of police corruption and, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think it's like, it's like, that's also surface level in this movie, though. They don't have a hundred percent, but it's delve there. into that. But what yeah, is? But, yeah. but with Goodfellas, I think it's like classic rise and fall, like the like, and you know, same with something like Wolf of Wall Street, and then and there's the the catalysts for those falls built in throughout the movie, and like, you know, obviously movies like Raging Bull and Taxi Driver have a lot to say, and you know, a movie doesn't have to be preachy or have anything really deep, but. I think what Scorsese's been so good at over the years is making fun, exciting movies and also getting those things into them. And The Departed maybe just misses that. I, you know, I, I was thinking about that same question, Lee. You know, what is The Departed about? And what was the appeal of this movie? And I think it's like genuinely Shakespearean. Like there's a lot of stuff in this movie where you have like Goodfellas is kind of the... I think you walk away from Goodfellas being like, this is kind of a realistic representation of what this guy's life was like. And look how crazy it is. And the same with kind of Wolf of Wall Street. Like, like we're going to go over the top and do all these crazy things and show you this crazy world and kind of lure you in and make you fall in love with it, much like the characters did. In this film, like, I don't know. There's so many... Like, if you actually thought of, there's so many things that are just sort of so silly from a plot point of view that just don't make any sense, but you don't care. It's not about I don't think that. that matters. It's, it's, and it, I hear that gripe about this movie all the time. So I was sort of expecting it, that too. It does not matter. It doesn't matter at all. And what I mean by that is it's Shakespearean. It's I was like thinking about, you know, Romeo and Juliet. Like, what are the chances these two families fall in love with? Like, they, like, you know, like, how is, like, that doesn't happen. But there's these, just these events, and it's, it's sort of the circumstances we find ourselves in in this film that lead to the drama. It's not really about the circumstances, where I think, I think Wolf of Wall Street and Goodfellas and Casino are all about, like, this is what this life is like. But I don't think that's what he's interested in here. I don't think this is like in any way supposed to be a representation of what life as a cop is like. Like, you know, they're 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 constantly looking for the rats in these organizations and they never think to look at the one new guy. <laughs> yeah, that used to be a cop. That used to don't be don't a cop. Don't even get me started. You know? and like, but, but it does, but like, it, it, they try. It, it, they try to address that, but it really, it doesn't. But it hole. doesn't matter. It doesn't. It, you know, it's it's. Um, I but, think it maybe matters a little bit. Maybe it that, does. But, but I honestly, I think like the, my takeaway from this is this movie is. I think this is the most fun movie that Scorsese has ever directed, 
And like, are you guys? More than Wolf of Wall Street. I think Wolf of Wall Street is too. First of all, it's too long, and it's too like it's it's just a little too aggressive, um, to be enjoyable. I think it's just too much for too long. Um, this film goes a little over the top. It's a little over the yeah. It's and 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 this film is like it's so pleasurable to watch. You've got these like six powerhouse actors. You know, just kind of chewing the scenery in such like a it's such a <laughs> so fun true. way, and you and just they don't you apologize love these guys. for they it don't at all. They're everybody. And they also like, don't they all they don't step on each other. That's what that's what's amazing. Like, like they <laughs> they really are just like every scene. Like, how can I just like make sure everybody knows I'm in this movie? And but somehow they're not they're not stepping on each other when they know when they have and and DiCaprio probably does it the best or at least the most obvious in the movie like they know when to pull it back and i actually think maybe those are some of the scenes that don't work well in this like his scenes with vera farmiga and you know even some of his scenes with um martin sheen well i'd say any any scene with vera farmiga doesn't work well in this movie so i I thought about that i I, I think and I don't think it's all her fault no, either. No, no, I think I, the I, writing for I, her is terrible. That's a totally but, fair point, but in this movie of excess, you you sort of forgive it, you know? Like okay, but, she's just and we're all over the place here, but could you take her character and that storyline out of yes, this movie com- and just yes. not miss you, you could anything. you could have edited like, the entire thing out. And it just makes it more like the situation where you've got these two guys, you know, like so obviously are the rats in the two other organizations and then they both <laughs> fall for the same girl. Like, how does that happen? But, um, but like, honestly, she's like one, the I mean, way. she's just gorgeous. And so it's nice to like, it's, it's a, a nice little like reprieve from these like men snorting Ray and Winston. yelling at each other, <laughs> bearded, oily men beating each other up. She's, but Honestly, like in this movie of excess, like it, it just it it doesn't feel that extraneous, you know, because like everything is extraneous. It, it, I, I, I agree, so, it's the weakest part of the movie. I don't mind it that much. Um, I don't mind it either. I don't think it's weird that you describe it as extraneous, though, to me, because I, I feel like it. I feel like the tone, everything, like changes during those scenes. Like they're melodramatic, and this movie is nothing even close to resembling melodramatic any of the other times. Well, I saw, I also don't really understand. I mean, back to your point about what this movie's about, I don't understand the purpose of it. You know, what is it supposed to, besides just being a romance, what is it supposed to? Well, the, the idea behind it is that two, the two guys are going after the same girl, but that never really clashes in a way where the only time that they sort of make that discovery is, and here we'll get into spoiler territory, is when she shows up to Leo's funeral. Well, and Matt I think Damon. it's their, I think it's their, like, again, why did we need this? And, you know, maybe this is a credit to Damon, but like, it's there to kind of expose Damon's fraudulent character. Right. And, right? and like, and, we and, learn and they build... about like her relationship with him, but Damon nails that on his own. <laughs> but they, they, and there's suggestions of that at the beginning, which I don't think I've ever quite understood. And, and I don't know that I understand right now, but you've got like in those, in, like in the first 20 minutes, Matt, you know, Matt Damon comes in, you know, doing the high dolly and, and the, like all the ladies are like <laughs> going crazy over him. And then Leo is like this sort of dorky, you know, angry looking, he looks like a little kid and he's got those weird shiny shoes on and, you know, the women don't really even like look him in the eye. And, and it's, it's weird because, well, one, like that's obviously like, I feel like that's sort of the opposite. They're sort of opposite characteristics, you know, in real life, which is interesting, I guess. But, but also, um, you know, what are they trying to say there with that build up part? Like, like they kind of, I mean, in those first couple scenes, when Leo first gets to um, Queenan's office, he he's supposed to feel out of place, right? Like he's supposed to feel like a little bit like a fish out of water. Like well, that's what's belong. interesting. That's something interesting to talk about because they, they, you know, Damon walks out the door and walks right past him, doesn't even see him in that scene, which is obviously done intentionally. And then in that meeting with, with Queen and Indignum, you know, they talk about the, you know him growing up, living double life, you living know, from case, the, coming from the know. North Shore. Yeah, yeah, he's a yeah triple decker man at best. Yeah. So, and then 
So, you know, and they basically say, like, we need you to behave that way again. But what would, I, I feel like what we needed to see was a scene of him behaving that way before he goes and meets with uh, his cousin. You know, oh, and, you I, know. I totally got I I believed it. I never that was never a problem for me. Like, I, I totally got it. And that scene sold it. Wahlberg in that scene sold it. Leo in that scene sold it. Like, I, that was never a question for it, me. It also establishes what both of these guys are about, which is deception. And that's what they say is that, you know, he's this double kid. He's like, you know, goes to Deerfield Academy on the weekdays. And then when he comes vi- visits all these like, you know, you know, half-assed gangsters back in South Boston on the weekends, and he's dropping his R's, etc. You know, like that. Where, where is Deerfield? Because that's not a Western North Mass. It's in the Western. It's a, Mass. it's a like a fancy boarding school. But what? So when they were, t- oh, it's right near Shelburne Falls. <laughs> yeah, it's right near Shelburne Falls. Yeah, um, but he's from, but he is from Beverly, as we find out from his uh, prescription drugs. That? No, his prescription says he's uh, from Beverly. Oh, because I was like, where in the North Shore is he from? What is that? What is a house out. like that that he lives in? His mom's old house. What, what, what would that run you these days in Beverly? I can tell you exactly because I'm looking for houses in Beverly. Probably yeah, between five fifty and seven hundred. Why are you looking in Beverly? Well, that's a, that's for another podcast, but yeah. But yes, um, I have the same question. <laughs> yeah, I, like okay. So all that aside, I, I really want to talk about like why why is this so entertaining? Like what part of it? is beyond the acting and Scorsese. What, what part of the plot is actually really oh, engaging to you guys? Do you think it is nothing. any of the plot? No, no I disagree I think that it's, I it's think nothing. I think it's acting. I think oh, it's I, dis- I disagree with you, Lee. There's I no way it's Damon not just, I love, I love the way that this movie's structured and okay. the way these two, two characters have to play off of each other. I so, think it's brilliant. And I think that point, everything though, else elevates it. On that point, so, JP, I know you listen to the, the Ringer podcasts, you know, Sean Fennessy and Chris Ryan, they talk about this movie all the time. I like those guys, but they talk about the plot of this movie making no sense, like it's, like it's Mulholland Drive, and it really makes me question their intelligence as film watchers, because it is not complicated. It is actually kind of dumbed down, and it's pretty well structured. Like, it, it, there's some silly MacGuffins in this, like the microprocesses and stuff like that, but who cares? Like, it's... It's just there to drive the plot forward. So are, so like, are we at war with the Chinese? It's been 20 odd years. <laughs> I just, I, I think the plot of this movie is fine. It serves the purpose. Yep. But I think, I think what makes this movie great and enjoyable are the characters no, I, and the actors. I disagree play. because, because the, this is what I was saying about Shakespearean is that you've got these like two, the, 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 this, this plot is like, Oh, you know, c- can only be written in a screenplay or an or on a stage play. It's like these two kind of like Titanic people, like they're you know the that are that are that are sort of mirror images of each other. Like there's such kind of obvious metaphor built into the plot of this film. Um, that's so fun to watch, and it's like everything that is fun about drama, you know. And right. Um, but but sort of couched in this gritty world of cops and criminals in Boston. All right, well then, let's ask the question, who was better, Leo or Damon? I think this Damon. is I think this is Leo's best performance ever. Wow. I think it's Damon in this. Damon Damon overacts a lot in this movie, but I think oh, he, he does it on wins. purpose. He's just Yeah. He's so charming and so likable as a as a bad guy in this it's he's so good but this is the movie that made me decide that i liked leonardo dicaprio as an actor before this i was never into leo i thought i just couldn't buy him his boyish good looks just never sold me and i was like there's no way he's going to be able to pull off a gritty sort of gangster film um but he he's amazing in this but damon is so good too it's really, really good it's really hard to, and then you have like, you know, one of Wahlberg's three good performances of all time. But when <laughs> he's so good, good, he's fucking great. He just nails it. Um, and then I think honestly, uh, Nicholson is probably the 
I, he's good and he does he's not bad but he hams it up at points where you're just like okay like you smile at it but you're also like you you get taken out of it a little I bit th- oh see, I, I got this well, maybe. rat yeah i think so with the exception or that, of or Leo, that coke so scene where he I think, literally there's no that? other reason to have that scene other than to have him go like he's high i don't i, I don't understand so why that's that scene the extraneous it. stuff in the movie i think is uh, some of the stuff with him and trying to like highlight how crazy he is um i mean but at the same time like i think dicaprio is the only one that doesn't like ham it up in this movie everybody else does alec baldwin does yeah, uh, Damon definitely does. Wahlberg definitely does. I mean, uh, Martin Sheen doesn't, but but all um, in good ways, all in ways that make it. They I, I make think it works work. great. I, I I think the reason I choose Damon over over DiCaprio is sort of that. Like this movie is like uh, either tailor made or the product of actors, good actors hamming it up and it working. So. It's all fits really nicely. And maybe it's a credit to DiCaprio's talent that like, while everybody's messing around, he's just like expertly acting his way through this movie. He's not exactly a subtle actor um, ever. Uh, And I think he fits in nicely here with everybody. I love him in this movie. Don't get me wrong. I just think Jeremy said to pick Damon or DiCaprio in this. Damon's movie. also very good uh, to me. The the Nicholson performance, like like when Scorsese <laughs> was trying to figure out what this movie was going to be, and he looked. I think he looked at, at at Nicholson's performance or like an audition tape or a reading, and he's like, "That's what my movie's going to be." Is like <laughs> yeah. just. Sort of nonsensical, outrageous, all over the place, but a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I mean, you know, like I don't. What is he do? What is he doing in this movie? What choices I mean, are he, he making? Does it, it's he does it in The Shining too. We we talk about that. Like he's in a different movie sometimes than everybody else. Like when he when he walks out and he's just covered in blood. There's a couple. Like, there's but, multiple but they, scenes, where, but that's played for laughs. Like that's it's. I think of course, that of course. But I think there are scenes where he even kind of like goes a little overboard, but you you enjoy it because he's just good at that. I love when he, I love the scene, the scene that makes me laugh so hard with him is when he drops his gun. Yeah. The way he goes and picks it up. <laughs> like, it's so funny. I just think like, I think, and, and all, that's the thing. All that, that stuff was, impro- a lot of that stuff is improvised, you know, that. I'm sure yeah. it does. There's no way like that that behavior was scripted. Like he looks like he it wasn't improvised. It looks like he actually dropped it by accident. He's trying to pick it up before, before the camera catches him. Um, uh, I did have a question about that. I wanted to ask you guys. I was curious of the three. I think very obvious mob bosses in Scorsese movies. You got Pauly in Goodfellas. You have Costello in The Departed. You have Joe Pesci in The Irishman. I guess three questions. Who's the best? Who's the scariest? Who's your favorite? Of those three? I mean, Paulie's not really on either of those lists. He's not very scary, and I don't think he's he, the and best. And he's a, he's a captain in Goodfellas. He's not a so boss. I think, I think it yeah. would really be between the other two. Joe Pesci's all, all, always the scariest. I mean, he just is. I mean, Nicholson's pretty scary in this movie. Yeah. Like... I, he might be the best one, which I would surprise if you'd asked me this before watching this. I don't think that would have been my well, answer. I, the thing about, I mean, he he is his character is based on Whitey Bulger, right? A little bit, and uh, I think what was what they what they capture from Whitey Bulger for this character is this like complete, uh, you know, self self centered behavior. You know, this this like yeah, he's only out for himself. He he'll sell everybody else to the FBI. He doesn't care. I mean, at least like the Italian gangsters have some, you know, code they follow. Um, but this guy does like seems to have no morals or scruples about anything. And like he says it, he's like, you know, time was I just kill everybody. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, you know, so I I think that makes him a very frightening and unpredictable character, which is why, um. But, you know, one one thing I don't... I mean, there's lots of things we could probably pick this movie apart 
you know, in an entirely different podcast. But one of the things I wanted to point out that I don't don't really quite like what what is his business like? He like they do they sell drugs, they sell microprocessors. He's there to like pick what, up. They're in the mob. Uh, whatever they can steal, whatever they can get, guns. But like he goes to a drugs. coke deal. Why does he show up to yeah. that? Like it's just like there's just it, there's not a lot of logic there. Um, you know, you just have to know he's making money. I guess. Yeah. I mean, okay, but so. <laughs> Chapin, you're like, we, you know, we could probably pick this movie apart in a different podcast. I mean, this is the Departed podcast. Okay, like, well, here, then let, if we then have let things me, to pick, let's let, pick. Let me bring like, you up. Okay, the like the opening scene where, uh, and I'm talking about the very opening scene where Scorsese seems to like give us a bookend about the racial tensions in Boston. Yeah, for no yeah where was what was that never, doing? What is that doing there? And what never is that about? Up again. We, Anthony Anderson is the only black person in this movie. <laughs> And yeah, the woman yeah. who who does as much does so much coke, don't move until you're numb. Yeah, <laughs> the black hooker, yeah. presumably. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. And like, also that whole like the beginning scene, it's 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 weirdly overly lit and like, uh, uh like Frank's always in like. I, yeah, I uh, like that. Silhouette. Yeah, they like, like try to hide his face, but then they don't. Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. I, I, I didn't. Yeah, that that throws me from this movie always at the beginning. Is is that stuff? Yeah, he um, comes out of the shadows and says, "What's the difference?" But you've already seen his face in like other parts of the scene. That was strange. I noticed the same thing, Jeremy. And yeah, like, and there's there's also like uh, I mean. <laughs> I don't know if this, I don't think this movie would be made the exact same way today either. I think there's there's points of it being really not PC at times. Not that movies need to be, but just like blatantly in a in a way that like it just seemed sort of cliche. And then also I think I think people would have trouble with the the female character in in this movie nowadays cuz she's Poorly written, also like just terrible at her job, like really bad. <laughs> I know. She just gives out the drugs when they yell at her. She's like sleeps with de- all the guys. She's just, like, it's really it's a, a really poorly really written poorly written character. Character, like, and she's she's not a good actress either. I mean, what she's kind of like. I don't know what happened to her career, but probably people realize she's not that great because um, she was like all the rage for a few yeah. years there, and and kind yeah, of with up in the air after this, um, it hasn't. But I mean, and there's some di- there is some dialogue in, in this that it's just like all right, yeah, like, but there's also just great dialogue in this. Too. There's so much good dialogue. Doesn't, I don't know so if anyone that makes wants up for to, all of it. Yeah, I don't know if anyone has a favorite. Uh, uh, moment of dialogue, but uh, man, you could quote. You can. It's just so endless. It's funny quotable. because like most of the quotable lines come from Alec Baldwin and Mark Wahlberg. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I love just good old high Darlene, but I think me and Javen <laughs> say that to each other all the time. But, uh, <laughs> but and and I love the scenes where like Damon just like really like pulls the Boston accent and it's like, all right, that's it for me. Like he's, he's good so, at a bo- he's, he's so, so phony and he's Boston so insecure. Accent. Like he, like I just, that's what I love so much about his character. But yeah, like the, the one liners from, from, from Dignam and from LRB from Alec Baldwin are just so good. Patriot act. <laughs> this yeah, might be I Alec mean, Baldwin's best performance ever. Well, 30 rock is. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of just playing the same. Yeah. <laughs> same person. Yeah. Uh, cinematography. We haven't really talked about that. That was a second secondary thing. That's, it's just really beautiful, great noir crime work. Michael Bauhaus um, shot. Uh, he's, he, you know, he was Scorsese's pretty close collaborator. He did. Um, I think he did a good fellow. He did not do casino. That was your boy Bob Anderson. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I. This is some of his last work. Yeah, it's actually, his this second is like to his last, last movie. Yeah, pretty much the last thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just I think you know, I, I was sort of blown, I, not blown away. Well, he but, shot Air Force One. Yeah, there we go. Um, this is Apex Mountain. I I think this yeah this movie just has these like 
I don't know. I just I love I love the way it looked. It's it's pretty subtle. It's that they you know they're not, but I love like the Dutch angles. I think are really cool. They're really well done. Yeah. yeah. And, and I also think there's a lot of like unmotivated camera movements. Yes. But they work. Like they same way that the editing works. You're not quite sure why, but it works. Like there's these sort of camera movement when somebody talks and isn't even saying something that important, and they just sort of swing across them uh i found that interesting is, all right so is there a i don't believe that this is the case like in nowhere even close to this but is there a, is there something about this movie that makes you wonder if like during production things got a little bit away from scorsese he was trying some things they didn't always work they didn't always make sense but he is so good at all of them and then you take sort of this amazing editing from Schoonmaker on it and put it put it all together that all, somehow they ended up with a a great movie. Yeah, just throw some because rolling it, stones on it. We got ourselves a hit. Like it yeah, like it is like like you said Chapin, like you can pick it apart. There's issues. It's messy. There's some strange things that that work, but you could also say like why is it there? And there's a lot of stuff like that. Like why do they do those like weird post zooms with like the black surrounding like the fade yeah and then zoom out uh, from the like from the police station um, I, I i like it too but why is that there I, it's the, well, I, it's I, in it I, twice in the movie it's not like a consistent i i have to like, say i i does. don't think the i don't think the camera um moves are always unintentional there's there's great moments you know like it's very easy and i do it all the time like you throw a you throw a camera on a dolly or on a slider or something just to have some movement to make it more interesting but like there's specific movements here like when when there's a scene when when um uh mark Wahlberg enters the room and there's a he they, the camera carries him and it's obviously like a techno crane shot and it like pulls back over the table and it's a cool shot but then they they do that so they go from kind of a medium close up and uh, following him and then they pull back over the that big long t- meeting conference table of everybody and then they cut into a close up of a back and forth between Wahlberg and Alec Baldwin and the camera kind of is um you know moving around them in a, like a weird apex and then it does the opposite as it moves around it but but they only do it on do you guys know what scene I'm talking about they only do yes. it on yep. on the times when they are having adverse when they're starting their argument so it's like where the fuck have you been you know it'd be nice to have access to your your undercovers and then he goes well fuck yourself da, 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 da. and then once yeah. the thing calms down it goes back to more traditional coverage so i mean he probably shot the whole move the whole scene on the on the you know circling right. dolly or whatever but you know he they in the editing they only chose to use those spots for those key moments where there's clearly tension between that and i think that camera movement not only does it help build the tension in those scenes and create like this tension between the two characters but it also just adds so much energy to this movie and that's what's so great about scorsese's camera work and of course the way that that camera work is then you know processed into into this brilliant editing but there's just so much energy in the way that he what he brings to these movies and you know you think of goodfellas and like the dolly in there's tons of dolly dollying in and steady cam work in goodfellas but this movie i think takes that to another level with that like circling kind of stuff well and that that's a good example kind of proving my point wrong about this, you know, him just it getting away from him. Like he, he does those techno crane shots, but then he still shoots the coverage, which is like a discipline, right? That that's, that's the type yeah. of thing where like, you could say like, Oh, I have this shot in mind. I want this scene to play out like this. I'm going to use it. And then they shoot it and then they're done. Right. It goes you know, to show I, you, you don't think he's, oh, I'm shooting this as backup. He's like, this is how the scene might work. Like I'll need this shot too. Yeah, that Scorsese isn't always just like, well, I'm going to edit in the camera. Like, I know what I want. This is what it's going to be. Yeah, I don't think he's, like, he's not like Spielberg. Yeah, I, I, yeah I was, I'm going to give you this shot and this shot only. It's funny you say that, Lee. I was looking at that scene where, speaking of editing, uh, it's the basically the first time Dignam and Queenan meet Mar- uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. And that's a long scene that's cut over like a lot of different scenes are cut into mm-hmm. it. And I was like, God, this must, they must have just been in there forever shooting all this because there's all these different angles. But then there's a weird, it's towards the end. It's the, it's the part when he goes, 
Well, there's a lot of like weird lines added. You can tell like when he goes, you got 1400 on your SAT kid. You're an astronaut, not a cop, not a stadium whatever. That That's obviously a post line, but there's a clearly, and I just noticed it on this time. Um, I, I think sort of when the scene is wrapping up where, uh, Martin Sheen and 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 Mark Wahlberg's back. It's looking at Leo over the desk, and they're clearly comped in in a green screen digital effect. And it's, I mean, some of the green screen work you can see the green behind it exactly. And it, see rat at the end of movie, but and in and Leo, I think is also comped into it. And it's like, what were you guys doing? You shot. You probably shot this scene for two weeks, and we still didn't get this, this moment. I don't. What's happening? <laughs> Um, and also, like, why did they need that moment? Like, why couldn't they use one of the million other shots that they had? I don't you know. know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's well, a lot of cool stuff. Like, there's the, cause it, that stuff like that makes me wonder what the actual shooting script looked like. Like, you know, you could probably read the script online, but is that just like a copy of what the movie is? Or, like, can you get your hands on the actual script? And, like, what does that scene yeah. look like? Because you get to the editing room. You shot, you shot the script, right? You shot the scene. You get to the editing room and you're like, this doesn't work. What's missing? You look and you say, okay, well, this, you know, you need this, this dialogue. But is it, is it also, also is all that, cause that scene doesn't take, you know, it's, it's cut in with a lot of other stuff. Right. Um, okay. Well, this brings me to another question, guys. So I brought this up to you guys before. We've talked about how expensive the, uh, the departed was. Uh, not the departed how expensive um the irishman was to make i don't know guys i i'm i'm a little worried about scorsese he'll be all right i i don't have high hopes for killers of the flower moon well like i really don't i just so apparently killer i got insider information on the budget of killers well it says it's 200 million 220 million i'm i'm reading this i'm reading the book right now and it's really dense and just like knowing Scorsese's trajectory lately, what he does with dense material, he doesn't make it less dense. I guess and I guess I just don't understand this. Like I don't it says here, principal photography ultimately began on April nineteenth, twenty twenty one, so a couple days ago. Um, and it's is set to last for seven months. If you're, you know, seventy eight years old and uh, you know, maybe you're facing, you know, your third act of Irishman type scenarios. Don't you want to kind of get through filming a little quicker than that? He loves it too much. I guess yeah, he just, this is maybe like his I, I, do, I do find it disturbing that this are, that one of our favorite directors can't seem to make a movie without under $200 million that for some reason that, that, that on initial well, what, re- reading, we've been saying that what that, that Scorsese is a different director since he's had money since what gangs in New York. Like we've been yeah, but talking it's, about it's this. at a different level, Jeremy. I mean, this is, this is not a, this is not a $200 million movie. Members of the Osage tribe in the United States are murdered under mysterious circumstances in the 1920s, sparking a major FBI investigating investigation. It's a, it's a big period piece, Chapin. Like, again, I'm, I'm reading the, I'm, I'm so the book what? is like, but like the book and like, what's interesting is like the book is like textbooky. The way it reads, I, um, and I guess so I guess my like, the, the problem with this this is that, I mean, and this is true. He he can't he can't make these movies with in Hollywood anymore. Like the only people who pays for this stuff is Apple and and Netflix. Like no nobody wants to make this kind of movie. And I know, like, I'm excited that he's doing it, and I'm glad there's somebody going to pay for it. But look, we talked about this with 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 Fincher, like. Fincher made his least expensive movie unadjusted for inflation this year because he knew he had to. You know, there's I love how there's already like sort of set pictures on IMDb of of killers. <laughs> and it's just like it looks like they're kind of like making the the sets and stuff, and then you just have pictures of Scorsese taking pictures with his iPhone. <laughs> well, I mean, I I I wish I could. You know, I wish there was like some sort of competition where you could get like Fincher and Scorsese and PTA, like a Tarantino, festival for like a forty-eight. <laughs> but this instead, it's just you have you have eight million dollars to make a movie. 
I want to see what you can do with eight million dollars. But it, I, would it be Reservoir Dogs? Would it be? But Jeremy, you, you don't even need to do that. Like we don't even need to have like a competition. Like we're we're it's playing out in the in the rea- Like you know, it's we. They don't have eight million dollars. They have two hundred. Yeah, but PTA and Fincher don't. Yeah, if, and fi- yeah, but they know, don't have eight million. They have. They still got a good amount of money. But like twenty five. Mank had like sixteen. Twenty five may as well be no. eight. How much did Mank cost? Twenty five. No, Mank had more. Yeah, twenty five million dollars is still a good chunk of change. Yeah, but how, what was the last time you worked on a twenty five million dollar movie? I don't work on that way. It's just embarrassing. I need some money to spend at people, especially when people need 20 grand yeah, tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> Chapin, did we, if I remember correctly, we watched The Departed together in the theater, right? We in did. LA. We went to, it was for some reason not playing at the Arclight and we had to go see it at the Universal City Place, that awful theater. That's yeah. probably why the Arclight closed. And I still remember the ending of that movie and people being like, literally out loud going oh, it's a rat ah rat like they were the geniuses who figured it out which yeah. i hate that ending by the way the rat piece yeah the rat okay piece. but let's rewind a little bit to the actual ending of this movie which is so which, good it's so satisfying but it should have just that, ended right there no no i'm not even talking about i'm not even talking about damon's murder when Wahlberg oh. kills damon i'm talking about the elevator when they all yeah. just kill each other i love it so much it's so good it's like the exactly where this movie should go and like the uh, the unexpected, just like with everything that's been setting it up with the editing and camera movements and everything before you just the whole the whole scene from the rooftop down the elevator to when Damon kills the other cop is just so perfect. Di- DiCaprio screaming at him and punching him in the face, them going down the elevator, just fucking kill me. It's like it's so good. Yeah, no, it it's and it's then the awesome. surprise I mean, I when he gets the shot, shock which of still that surprises in the theater me too. Yeah. Um, that is a genuine, like, what the fuck moment. All right, All right guys. Well, on. that's the uh, the departed. Uh, all right. Before, do you want to do, let's talk about the Oscars next yeah. a little bit. Um, this is the first time I ever all... watched the Oscars, and I, I can't even remember the last time I haven't watched the Oscars. You really didn't miss thing. much. It was one of the worst sort of It was a horrible, horrible show. Yeah, the show itself was... Ugh. I mean, it, the awards, I think they got mostly right because uh, they they uh, mirrored the Fixies, which is yeah, very closely, ne- almost yeah. never happened. And obviously, the Fixies came out uh, two weeks beforehand, so nobody The supporting actor winners were different. Mm-hmm. Um, they were? But they were both nominees. Yu Jung Yoon, we all nominated, but uh, Amanda Seyfried won, or won the Fixie. Oh. Yep. Um, Daniel Kaluuya won the Oscar. Obviously, we all nominated him. But he won the fixie, didn't he? Oh, Paul Racy. No, Paul Racy won. Um, won the fixie. But Francis McDormand won uh, the Oscar, and then you know the biggest news is 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 the is the best actor victory, which went deservedly to Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, he was uh, the best performance of the this year. This is and what I thought would be an interesting conversation. What I'm what I'm glad I'm very glad that some that this is not happening. You're not hearing from anybody that the Oscars got it wrong. Are you sure because about I that? I think everybody I'm pretty sure I haven't seen anywhere. I have, I, think, I have heard that like I'd listened to something on NPR and the guy was just like, "Well, yeah, I mean, well, there was a lot of there was a lot of racial diversity, but at the end of the day, a white person won best actress and a white person won best actor." And I'm just like, "Well, they were also the best." Yeah. The two best of the year. I mean, I you know, it if you li- I should say, if you listen to movie people that know what they're talking about when it comes to this stuff, nobody's saying they, they got this category wrong. Chadwick Boseman was good in, in My Rainey's Black Bottom. They literally structured the show to give him the award last, posthumously. Mm-hmm. They, gave, they, did, they announced Best Picture, third to last, which you know has never been done. Then they announced Best Actress, and then Best Actor was the last category. Joaquin Phoenix awkwardly came out. Well, and he was going to awkwardly come out no matter what happened. And Hopkins won, and he wasn't there, so no one was there to give a speech. So the show just ended. And it was awkward, but that was the right choice. He was the best actor of the year and best performance of the year. Uh, the best performance of the year, and 
yeah, like everybody thought Bozeman was going to happen. I was texting with with you guys, and I, I was sure Bozeman was going to win, and he didn't. And it was kind of strange the way it played out. But the show was terrible. And anybody who tells you otherwise and tells you that they liked the change of pace and how they well, did what things I is didn't lying. understand is why didn't they play any clips? Well, that's the big critique. That was strange. Look, what the the strange thing that it made me realize is that I like the posh and circumstance of the Oscars, like. Because that was not there. What did I posh. say? Well, I like the posh and I like the pomp and circumstance. I like I, I've always liked that. I mean, you know, like the, there's rarely a time of year when everybody is as into movies as we are. And this is the one time of year that it is. I, I didn't watch the show, so I don't have a lot to say about that. But I don't know. I did have my like, I, I've had this thought and, I, and a lot of it comes from, like you said, Lee, the big pictures coverage of the Oscars. And we've talked a little bit about the Oscars in relation to the fixed season. Look, like the Oscars and, and the departed is a great example of that. Like the you know, a lot of people think Scorsese won for not for the departed, but for other movies. So, you know, this was like a career win for him. Um ultimately I would like an award show, you know, like the like the Fixies, which is our award show, uh, that awards the best performances. And 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 like I, I think it's sad that Chadwick Boseman, you know, was probably on the brink of doing, you know, becoming a a world-class actor. I mean, he was kind of already, but like having a long career ahead of him and but and and I and I think it's it's a it's a nice sentiment that I that I really don't mind at all that to, you know, were he to walk away with the award. But sure. Hopkins had the better performance and right. I think working <laughs> well, towards I mean, a way working towards a more accurate you know, a more accurate awards show where, where we're giving the awards to people for what they deserve and not for, not even for like career wins or snubs in the past. Like what's the best performance of 2021 and give it to that person, you know? Well, and exactly. And like Glenn Close is the example, like God forbid she won for Hillbilly <laughs> Elegy. Right. And she had this little like skit that they put together in the show, which people seem to like, but I thought was incredibly awkward. And, you know, you know, she's clearly a good sport about it. She's been nominated all these times. And I'd be interested to go back and see like, okay, who has she lost to all of these times? Because if she lost to a better performance every single time, then I'm sorry, Glenn, like you just lost to the better performance. It's just like, it's no when different than When you say just her first name, it's really weird. Who names really, a woman as I, Glenn? As, <laughs> as, I was, as I was saying that, I realized yeah. the same sorry, thing. Sorry, Glenn. <laughs> but, you know, she's, <clears throat> if she is, if she turns in, a mediocre performance in a above average movie at any point for the remainder of her career, she very well, very well may win an Oscar. And that's just not the way it should be. But here's and the thing. That's the, always the... been the case. But like, what's interesting is this year that didn't really happen. Nobody won like their career Oscar. Like everybody who won kind of just won and I, I, because I wonder if people that, believed and, it was the and best. I had this thought when we were began talking about award season that maybe the lack of kind of, you know, like all the industry parties and all, all the PR money that goes into getting people to see movies and, you know, getting the Academy to essentially vote for people, you know, was severely. Yeah, it was gone. Hampered by COVID. And I wonder if that kind of leveled the playing field a little bit. I think it, it I think it's possible. Like I was really, I mean, I, I guess, Promising Young Woman was the favorite for a screenplay, but I, I was shocked that Sorkin didn't win that. I thought that was a lock. Um, but things like Messerschmitt winning Best Cinematography. You know, uh, Joshua James Richard won the, won the Fixie. Messerschmitt was a nominee for all of us. But, like, that was really good cinematography and, like, a classically a classic-looking old Hollywood film. Like, you can, like, that checked all the boxes except for, you know, career achievement award. So, like, I was sort of okay with, like, the Oscars. If they want to stick with, like, oh, we love movies about movies, fine. Stick with that. As long as it's good work. Yeah, and I think a lot of what happened with the Hopkins thing is, I think, I think people in the Academy assumed as well that Chadwick was going to win and decided to vote for who they wanted to win. Yeah, that's interesting. Because... 
Yeah. It doesn't matter that's at that a point. That's a really good point. And it's also I think, some recency bias, I'm sure, that's playing a factor because Mar also Rainey like came out in like December and the father was available to most people much more recently. I mean, we all agree that, that Hopkins gave the performance of the year, like yeah. in any category. And also, in, well, in, we always have that one person in a and year it's him. Where, this year. you know, in a sort of a, a year where there wasn't a bright young actor who died tragically, you know. Uh, uh, you know, right after delivering a incredible performance, this would have been a nice. This is a nice swan song, swan swan song for Anthony Hopkins. You know, like he's totally eighty three years old. I don't, you know, he may not. I mean, he was obviously wasn't he? He was nominated for uh, the two popes, right? So you know, I mean, he's still kind of at the top of his game. But is he going to have another performance like this? Probably not. So it's also a good narrative. Um, but yeah, and I think it will settle in. I mean, I think it was just it was a combination of like everybody's expectation of Bozeman winning and, you know, posthumously, but also the after Best Picture, when Best Picture showed up where it did in the show, everybody watching was like, oh, the reason we're do- they're doing this is to give it to Bozeman. So now all of the expectations were there. Add this on to it. And then it playing out the way it does it. Look, we're, it's going to take a little time for us all to recover from that. Yeah. Like, and once the dust settles, we're going to be like, yeah, but yeah, uh, it was, performance was incredible. It was a very moonlight La La Land moment. It was. And those are, they're good for those every three or four years. So Yeah, I like those. But it also goes to show you that the Academy isn't, they're not putting their, their hand on the scale. Right. Like they don't know what's going to happen. And that is a little bit refreshing to see, but not as refreshing as listening to the Fixies. Right. Which was two and a half hours longer than the Oscars, but separated into two parts. So yeah, you don't have to listen to it all at once. Uh, all right. So guys, uh, we haven't done this for a while. The just effing watch it challenge where we assign a movie to each other. Each of us gets our individual movie and we'll review it next week on the podcast. Ooh, next week, uh, we usually move... try to watch all three of them. That's a lot. That's a lot to do in the next week. That's true. We usually, well, well, we usually do all it three. Too, but, um, and it's usually a movie that uh, we haven't, you don't think the other person has seen yet or you want that person to revisit well maybe a movie you disagree with them on um so uh i believe i have lee lee has chapin and chapin has me yep. mm-hmm. and uh who lee why don't you go first all right sure so chapin i had a couple things in mind for you um i did have some animated films in mind uh, that i wanted to give you but i did not choose one of those okay. you're welcome Thanks. um i will say i'm not like super excited about this but i think it is a good one for all of Way us to sell and, it. and in particularly you it's a movie that you've talked about a lot that you've needed or that you have not revisited and perhaps it would be interesting when you do but black swan chapin Oof. oh god after all these years all right, this is a movie yeah, that you a, loved a... when you saw you're afraid to rewatch it cuz you don't want that love of the movie to go away but you're going to force um, me to do it and I th- and I'm gonna force you to do it because I actually I I want to watch it too. I'm curious for the same reasons you are. I think are. that's one of those movies um, with a nice short little running time. Yeah, it's not long. I do think you have to rent it though. So uh, apologies. Uh, so there we go. Black Swan, Darren Aronofsky's oh. film, Academy Award winner Natalie Portman. Fixie Chape, winner great. Natalie Portman. I like that. I like that. Chapin. All right, what do you got for me? So, Bring so, it on, Jeremy. On. You you gave me a. Uh, Akira Kurosawa film last yep. time, and I think we were all a little underwhelmed by it, but I think this is a really great but underappreciated Akira Kurosawa film in Throne of Blood. Oh, beautiful. Oh, boy. Uh, okay. Kurosawa's adaptation of Macbeth. Uh, this will be good because we're going to have a Macbeth later in the year from the Coens. From Joel Cohen. All right, Lee, this is a movie that... And three-time Academy Award winner Francis McDormand as Lady Macbeth. Oh, wow. And a, and a and little, and a little known actor One-time named winner. Denzel Washington as the titular One of my character. Uh, Lee, this is a movie that I kind of felt the same way as you the first time I watched it, but it was my rewatch that I was like, this is just a... F- 
this is a fun uh, movie and it's fuck. hilarious. And I really I already know want what it is. To, I don't yeah. want to. It's no, Seven no Psychopaths. No thanks. Pass. You can't no thanks it. <laughs> Pass. You're watching it. You can't. What? This. Oh my God. You just. <laughs> you're so wrong on this one. <laughs> this is why we do uh, this. This is a good one. That's a good one. God damn it. So. Well, I'll try to watch all three of these uh, when we can get it done. And uh, these none of these can be that we, long, right? I know Throne of Blood can't be that long. So we oh, got actually, Black Swan. I don't know why I'm saying that. We but. got Throne of Blood, and we got Seven Psychopaths. Everybody, follow along. All right, that's gonna wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Um, we would love for you to follow along with our Just Effing Watch It, so please try to get at least one of those in before our uh, episode. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, let us know what you thought of the Fixies. Uh, feedback at, is it just GYFFpodcast.com? Yes. There it is. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.